Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Kratom Guy Show. I'm your host, Mike Overstreet, the Boston Kratom Guy. Welcome back, episode number 14. We got Dr. Mark Swagger on the show today. I had so much fun talking with Dr. Swagger. And for those of you who don't know who Dr. Mark Swagger is, he is a clinical psychologist and he's also a associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry Research at the University of Rochester Medical Center. So this was really great interview and um, I know I shouldn't be shocked, but it's always so great to me to talk to so many people at such a high caliber, professional caliber, that understand the science of of Kratom and is willing to speak up about it. And in some instances, it could cost them a lot. It could cost them their job or their occupation because they dare to, to step out against the, uh, the medical establishment. Got a really great interview with Dr. Swagger coming up. We get into what got him into Kratom and the work that he's done. The vast amount of Kratom studies there are, so if you hear anybody say there's not enough studies, there are a huge amount of studies done, and even more being done right now, currently, by NIDA through the University of Florida. He also talks about what he thinks would happen in a Kratom ban, what that would look like, and also the over-interpretations and false misrepresentations of the studies that are out there. That was such a great interview. We're going to have that coming up a little bit later. So as far as the show today, we got, of course, the the main interview, Dr. Mark Swagger. And um, I did have a lot of news stories, but we have gotten a few requests. So thank you so much, everyone who's who's writing in and uh, calling, texting, hitting me up on, on social media. Um, to do some shorter shorter shows. So that's what we're going to be doing today. The main focus is going to be on the Dr. Mark Swagger interview. I did have a bunch to go through with the news, but um, I'll get into it a little bit later with the, my business update, but it's just been a crazy couple weeks. So instead of the news, we're going to be we're going to start to go over, uh, I did have a great interview with Mac. He talked about the truth and labeling program and the um, Nevada Board of Pharmacy trying to ban Kratom. So that whole interview is up on my YouTube. I was going to play a clip of it, but decided against it and um, for the shorter show. But what we will... What I'm going to do is the preview clips for Dr. Swagger coming up soon, but another preview clip is going to be of a news agency called Kilo News, K-E-L-O, uh, KiloLand.com. Seems like the main pusher of these misinformation campaign is a woman named Angela Kikenny. So they they did a six part series. So uh, I'm going to play a short clip of that, and then we're we're gonna we're gonna start to talk about the information that they're putting out and the the flat-out lies and misinformation and omitting the truth and the way they frame stuff. So um, the next episode is going to be diving, taking a deep dive into their six-part series. So we're going to dissect it. It's probably going to be a longer show. So that's going to be episode 15. And because it's just a lot to dissect. And I did invite Angela on the show and she said no. So I'm going to get into all that coming up later. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor, Candid Orange Flavored Kratom. We are so excited and proud to have Candid Flavored Kratom as our first sponsor. So let me tell you guys about Candid. Uh, They are revolutionizing the Kratom industry, Kratom extracts, with their orange flavored drink and the reason why i say they're revolutionizing the industry is because one the drink just tastes great it's uh it's orange flavored it comes in this little pouch super discreet easy to use it was a little sweet but it's sweetened with stevia which i like that and i was able to judge how much how much i wanted so i wanted a stronger drink so i just used a little bit less water, put it in a water bottle, shook it up, and drank that. But 
I really like that if you wanted less, just use more water and then you can sip it throughout the day. So if you guys don't see candied orange flavored kratom at your favorite retailer, make sure you tell them that you want candied flavored kratom. And one of the great things about having Candid as a sponsor is the free giveaway. So stay tuned for later on in the episode. We're going to be giving away some Candid Kratom. So we will let you know uh, what you need to do when that time comes. So stay tuned or go searching for it in the, in the episode somewhere. And uh, usually it's about like a week or two weeks. We'll, we'll let people enter and then um, choose the person. Look out for that feature in the episode. And this would be a good time for a small disclaimer that neither myself nor any of my guests are medical professionals. Nothing we say should be considered medical advice, and you should always seek the advice of a physician or medical professional before taking anything. Any copyrighted material is used under fair use for education or criticism. Enjoy the show! So here's a preview with our main guest, Dr. Mark Swagger. And so there's there's like almost, um, well, there's actually no data suggesting that Kratom causes psychosis. And we know because we have reviewed the entire literature and evaluated rigor of every study that has said anything about psychosis and Kratom. And um, we published a uh, review of uh, studies of Kratom. Uh, that um, looked at 13 studies that were rigorous enough to provide decent information. You know, there are limits. Uh, for example, females are completely underrepresented uh, underrepresented in a lot of these studies. We've got no randomized controlled trials among them, but um, the there was no evidence for kratom uh, and psychosis being even correlated in a in a way that makes sense. Let alone um, kratom causing psychosis. So, and for next show, we are going to be doing a special episode solely dedicated to dissecting Angela Kenny's misinformation and downright lies perpetrated in their six-part anti-kratom propaganda series. Here's a clip from one of those segments. Can you spot the lies, the framing of their statements, and the misinformation? This year, according to the South Dakota Department of Health, three people have died from Kratom. That's two more than last year. It's perfectly legal to buy Kratom, which comes from a plant, and there's a lot of money behind the effort to keep it that way. Tonight, Cumberland's Angela Kennedy talks with a family grieving the loss of 27-year-old Jacob Helmbrecht, whose primary cause of death, as ruled by the Minnehaha County coroner, is Kratom. But the Kratom lobby claims that supplement is the never the cause of death. And the coroners are getting it wrong. So that's just a little taste. That, that's just the opener. And we're going to dive into that a lot deeper before the Mark Swagger interview. I'll put that between. I'm going to get into the business update next. And then after the business update, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, about that more. But you can see how they frame it and how they make it sound so terrible. And there's just this lobby group with all this money behind it. Where did the money come from? Never mentioned once that it's a consumer lobbyist group. And then they completely scapegoat to say, oh, well, somebody else said it. The coroner said it. The medical examiner said it. So we just repeat it. They're not investigative reporters. They're repeaters. So I'm going to start to get into some of those lies. But next show, we are going to be doing a deep dive into all six episodes. Everything they've written in text and video, we're going to go through there and knock out each one of their talking points and let you know how you can destroy these mistruths and misinformation. As always, big thank you to you, the listener, and everyone who's been purchasing Kratom from Mass Herbal. It's, we're, I mean, of course, people want like hundreds hundreds of thousands of players or millions of subscribers. But I'm just happy that I'm able to do such great work and help so many people. Your messages just mean the world to me. Unfortunately, can't eat the messages and my wife will get mad. So please, if you guys like the show, a great way to support us without spending a dollar is like, share, subscribe. Know that 
with the Kratom Guy show and it and having Kratom in the title, just that alone pushes me way down in the rankings, as well as getting shadow banned and our viewer counts throttled on social media. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you guys is what's everybody's favorite alternative social media sites? Because I'm getting really tired of this. My Instagram is gone. They took my Insta. They took our gift. And uh, I got to make another one for Kratom Guy Show. But uh, I'm going to start getting on some of the more alternative ones like library and MeWe. So uh, if you hear this, let me know what, what your favorite ones are so we can connect there. Those are ways to support the show without spending a dime. But if you would like to help support us and keep the show going, you can definitely purchase a shirt or purchase some Kratom from Mass Herbal. If you get some candid Kratom, tell them I sent you. And yeah, check us out. We got the YouTube channel. I got the new Mac Hatto interview. Like I mentioned, our Instagram has been canceled. We got the Patreon, which I haven't put much up there because I haven't had much activity. And maybe if I put more up, I get more activity. But that's a great way to support us for investigative pieces. Like for this next show with analyzing and dissecting that six-part series from Kello is I might have to do some FOIA requests and that's going to cost some money. Yeah, if you want to support the show, you know, definitely hit us up on Instagram, but Mass Herbal is a great way. That is our store. I own that with my wife and we are looking for new vendors for Mass Herbal. So if, if you have a product, if you're a vendor, get in touch. So this would be good roll right into our business update and then you get to you get to hear my rant about the Angela Kikenny and Kello News and their bullshit. So as far as what we've got going on, the big news is Helen, Helen Overstreet, Mrs. Kratom Guy, is pregnant. We are about 20 weeks along and due in late February. Keeps getting bumped up by the weight, so we're... (laughs) <laughs> don't know uh, how big this kid is going to be, but it's our first. It's a it's a boy, and as of now, due February 20th, I believe. It's gone from the 24th to the 23rd to the 20th, and I believe somebody, one of the nurses or, or the techs said the 17th. So right now we're thinking anywhere between the 17th and the 23rd. So really wanted to get this show out to you guys earlier, but then last week... I got uh, two teeth extracted, so that took a lot out of me. I just had to rest a lot. It's like every time I went to go do work, it was like, oh, couldn't do it. So really happy to to get the show out to you guys now. And we got a big sale coming up, so be on the lookout for that. Mass Herbal, we're gonna do fifty percent off a bunch of different reds. We got some overstock and need to make room for for new stock be on the lookout for that 50 percent off select reds is going to be probably the majority of them and really good though like the red bali is really good red bali is really good for me i gotta say for me you don't take kratom i don't recommend taking kratom i take it and i share my experience this is for litigation purposes or to not have any litigation purposes so I can tell you that I take it. Uh, Red Bali is great for me at nighttime. And then if I really want something strong asleep, um, Red Tie or Red Bang does. So all of those would be on sale, 50% off. It's going to be select because I, I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty big sale. Going to go fast. So that will start, I believe, Monday the 12th. But just check in, check in, check in on the Kratom Guy Show or Mass Herbal, any of our social media, or just go directly to the website, and it will be all up there. But the big news is, and COVID has really messed this all up. I've had numerous plans throughout this thing. We were going to start working with certain vendors, and then when COVID hit, they couldn't do it because they were having import issues, and then one of the vendors' co-packers were shut down. So we are looking for new vendors to work with as marketing partners we ourselves can stop selling kratom and importing it and i can concentrate more on this show getting out more information essentially i want to be able to and it's it's the best part of this is being able to have this show i never thought it would take off the way it has but 
is really incredible to me. I mean, we're nearing 10,000 plays on just the podcast. Basically, I want to start breaking up these shows into smaller clips, adding videos, and I haven't been able to do it because I'm fulfilling orders and doing everything with Mass Herbal. So I'd like to, we'd like to work with some other small businesses that have really great products, and we think it seems like we're, we're really close to making our second deal. So Magnum Opus was our first, and they got awesome extract and the salve oh the salve is so good i put it on my neck whenever i'm hurt and it's awesome heard it works good on burns too so our next one is a u.s grown kratom company so we're really close to closing partnership with them and then i'd love to get an indonesian vendor that works with us has a essentially an american rep that they're make sure all their English is correct on their on their marketing and they sell on our site and we think we uh, we found a credit card processor so I think that's going to be a big game changer and yeah essentially credit card processor takes a big cut we would take a small cut and sell directly to our customers I think it's a win-win so along with concentrating just on the show we are now starting our Kratom Saves Lives program so this program is to give back but nothing in return. The only thing I do want in return is a phone call or a check-in every day. So we're looking for people struggling, primarily struggling addicts or and or veterans that need some help, want to try Kratom, want to get off the stuff they're, they're on, and they don't have money to, to try it out. We think it's going to be really good. We like The feedback has been great. There's been I got to start a spreadsheet, but there's been so many people that are like, yeah, I'd give it to that. I'd give it to that. And we've already had our first owner and I told him to hold on to it, that he would buy, he already bought half a kilo and he's like, I'm ready to ship it. So I'm like, hold on to it. Nobody's come forward. So if you're listening to this and you're trying to get off something, give us a call. Give me a call. Everything is private. You, this isn't going to be an open group. I don't even know where it's going to live. It might be Telegram or something. But essentially my only caveat is that you check in with me every day. It's going to be a three-month program. You'll get a delivery each month with your amount of Kratom. And uh, just check in with me every day, and we'll do this together. And I'm also offering the donors to be able to be a part of the program and talk to the people that they donated to. I think that's going to be really big, really great community building. So I think that that about does it for for our updates. We're pregnant, due in February. So the first three months were... Me making my wife breakfast every day, eggs with something in them, usually, or maybe not, because she got so sick. She She's just starting to get better. Helen's just starting to get better from, from morning sickness, but it was like a straight three months, and then all the doctor's visits. So I'd love to be able to essentially stop packing orders, stop filling creative bags, and be able to sell other people's products. And then we can get them on the show, and I think it's going to be really great. Now's going to be a good time to give away our candied orange flavor Kratom in our contest. So for this week, let's do let's do on our Twitter. So if you would like to be a candidate for free Kratom, free orange flavor Kratom from Candid, just give us a follow on Twitter and we're going to pick one of our Twitter followers to get some free Kratom. Good luck and see you on Twitter. So next segment, we're going to be getting into breaking down that news story from Kelloland and be on the lookout for next show where we're going to take a deep dive into the full six-part series. That was just the opening clip of one of their stories. I believe that clip was from Kello, Kello News. Family warns about Kratom death or something like that or uh, kratom danger but that was just the opening and you can see just in that opening piece from that segment there it's so loaded i was going to put more in there but i'd just be here forever so you know we can we can talk about their they're saying according to the department of health what that means is just like all the other mainstream news that get it wrong with kratom that they're able to say somebody else said it we didn't do any investigation. We didn't find out for ourselves. Somebody else said it, so we're reporting it as if it is true. It comes from a plant. It is a plant. This shows you've done no research at all, or the bare minimum, probably looking at other mainstream media sources. 
And they always talk about it as this lobby group. It's this big money lobby group, not a consumer lobby group. And the only way that we would be consumers were able to be taken serious is to have an organized group. No, it, it's, it's big money as, as though it's big pharma. They say, oh, the lobbying group said they got it wrong. It's framed as if these guys, and they even say it later on after, after uh, they interviewed Mac. And, of course, they, they make them look really bad. That, oh, it, these aren't medical professionals. This is just some lobby group. So, you know, I try to stay calm. But this stuff, you know, and I figure instead of getting mad, it's really easy to get mad and upset because everyone's passionate about Kratom and keeping it legal because it's literally saving lives. And that's one of the things that really made it even worse is, so a little backstory, Angela, her daughter died of an opiate overdose. So she's a mom on a mission, which I completely understand, but they're doing pieces on opiates and how opiate deaths are on the rise this year in South Dakota, and then at the same time demonizing Kratom as though it's not saving lives. And this this guy, you know, heart goes out to the family that this this could happen. You know, this coroner said that, oh, the other drugs he was on played no part, and Kratom toxicity was the main cause of death. We asked the Minnehaha County Coroner, Dr. Kenneth Snell, if anything else could have caused Jake's death, and he told us if the other drugs contributed, they would be listed as a contributory to the cause of death final statement, which they were not. Really? What is the toxic level of Kratom? Because nobody else knows it besides this corner, so I got to talk to him. I'm going to do my best to get him on the show. But he was on five different drugs. He was an alcoholic, admitted alcoholic. By looking at the pictures, it looks like he wasn't the, the prime picture of health. It looks like he was uh, heavily overweight taking blood pressure medicine. So let's go through it. He was on Venlafaxin, Effexor, which is an antidepressant, select serotonin and neripinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and SSNRI, which the list of side effects is pretty unreal. Severe nervous system reaction, very stiff, rigid muscles, sweating, confusion, seizures, Easy bruising or bleeding, blurred vision. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness, headache, anxiety, feeling nervous, fast heartbeats, tremors, shaking, and a whole list of other medications that you should not be taking while you're on this. So he was on that. He was on Metoprolol, Lopressor is a brand name, which is a beta blocker to treat angina which is chest pains and hypertension, high blood pressure. So I'm assuming he had high blood pressure. You should not use this medication if you're allergic to metoprolol or other beta blockers. And he was on, and I can go through the whole list of side effects, and I'll put the links in the, in the description. Side effects, very slow heartbeat, shortness of breath, dizziness, feeling tired, depression, confusion, memory problems, nightmares, trouble sleeping, diarrhea, other heart or blood pressure medicin- medicines can affect it. An antidepressant, MAOI inhibitor. He was also on mitrazapine, is another antidepressant. So, so far, just looking at drugs.com, you're not supposed to be mixing the medications that he was on. This one, tell your doctor if you have depression or suicidal thoughts or actions, bipolar disorder, high cholesterol, heart problems, or stroke. Side effects include weight gain, increased appetite, drowsiness, dizziness. What other drugs can affect it? Let's see, antidepressants. Then the other drugs he was on was caffeine and nicotine, which, looking it up, it seems like that's a terrible idea to be mixing caffeine, nicotine. You got heart problems. And little research I've done, it completely blocks the beta blockers that he was taking. So that was five drugs that he was on that the coroner says plays no effect at all. So then looking it up at the the medical examiner's report, it says biodiagnosis, which this is all in the article, mitrogene toxicity. Now, I do apologize. I'm going to like butcher all the, the medical terms and the drug names, so just bear with me. So under that, that, that was one, mitrogene toxicity, and then under that is A, aspiration pneumonia early, B, pulmonary congestion, cardiomegaly with bilateral ventricle 
dilation. You know, I got to get Cammie on this show. She's a, she's a nurse. I used to be a nurse. Awesome kratom advocate. Maybe I'll talk to her during this series. Uh, the uh, this, the next show examining this. Looking into the aspiration pneumonia and the pulmonary congestion. What is aspiration pneumonia? Aspiration pneumonia is a lung infection that develops after you aspirate and inhale food, liquid, or vomit into your lungs. You can also aspirate food or liquid from your stomach that backs up into your esophagus. If you are not able to cough up aspirated material, bacteria can grow in your lungs and cause an infection. So to me, what this sounds like is it's not toxicity, but it looks like toss and wash gone wrong. Almost like what happened to that state trooper in New York. What can increase my risk of aspiration pneumonia? Smoking cigarettes. Hello? A weakened immune system caused by diabetes, COPD, heart failure, or other health problems. So I looked it up, and this is how people have died or got seriously injured through the cinnamon challenge. WebMD, cinnamon stunt can have serious lung effects. Ground cinnamon can be inhaled into the lungs, and some kids end up in the ER with problems as serious as collapsed lung. And we got pulmonary congestion. The accumulation of abnormal amount of blood in the vascular bed of the lungs usually occurs in association with heart failure. He had a bad heart. He was taking blood pressure medication. I should say, allegedly, with all of this, uh, one is I have a healthy distrust for government and mainstream media, but I don't know. I didn't examine him. I didn't look at the paperwork. I'm going to ask Angela if she will send send me over all the paperwork that they got. I highly doubt it, but maybe we'll do a FOIA request. What to know about cardiomegaly is an enlarged heart. It is not a disease, but a sign of another condition. Less severe forms of cardiomegaly are referred to as mild cardiomegaly. Fast facts. People with mild cardiomegaly may not experience any symptoms. It's sometimes temporary and resolves once it goes away. The treatment depends on the underlying cause. And then an article on here uh, from Prescription Hope, beta blockers and caffeine affect effects benefits and what's to do smoking and drug interactions which it talks about the mixing with caffeine antidepressants other drugs nicotine increases blood pressure and heart rate hopefully i'll be able to talk to the medical examiner or the um the coroner i believe they said medical examiner kenneth snell because i would like to know what he knows if there is a lethal dose of kratom we gotta know but we haven't found one yet and i don't understand this if his underlying health conditions the five other drugs he was taking at the time, where has it been studied that these five drugs interacting with each other, how does that work? And these five drugs interacting with not only each other, but with Kratom. And if the other drugs, if they didn't play a role, how is it that there is a study up, which was poorly written, by the way, which called Kratom a synthetic opiate or opioid, but the facts of the, the, the case still remain true. There was a, I believe it was 15-year-old girl who tried a failed suicide attempt by swallowing, I believe it was 230 grams of kratom. That's nearly a quarter kilo of kratom. What happened? She got taken to the hospital. She was very sick, got sent to the psych ward for a mental eval, and released. She was fine. She threw up and was, was not feeling good, I think, for a day. So how is it a little 15-year-old girl can take 230 grams, but this guy, you know, like I said, my heart really goes out for the family, but this guy, Jake, his accidental death was caused by mitridine toxicity, and then it doesn't even list the amount that was found in his system? What bullshit. So we're going to be diving into that a lot more. That's just a little brief overview of what we're going to go into. So we are going to dissect every single article, every single video, and we are going to go step by step to show you exactly where these talking points are and how to rebut them. And if this gets you mad, I want to say that's good, but it's almost like don't get mad, get even. So what you need to do is take some of your Kratom, bag it up, and go give it away. That's right. I do I do it all the time. Anybody who's like, oh, uh, you know, I don't sleep well, or I got this pain or that pain. Hey, have you tried Kratom? I'm going to bring it into you and I'll, I'll give them some. So that's the, that's the thing. We get the good word out. So that's what I'm doing with this show. And I've, I, I try to, to not get too mad and, and see that I have a platform with this show and the word gets out, especially I've noticed it gets out to new Kratom consumers. So again, if you're a new Kratom consumer, please give me a call. 
Give me a text. Hit me up on social media. Send me a message. You don't need to buy Kratom from me. I just want to connect. It's one of the best parts of my job is talking to you guys. I love these stories and it's, besides my family, it's it's really what I live for. Just to hear how much Kratom is helping people. It save, literally saves people's lives. So that's going to be next show. Next up is our interview with Dr. Mark Swagger. Like I mentioned, he's a clinical psychologist. He's an associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry Research at the University of Rochester Medical Center. His research focuses on therapeutic and harmful substance use, as well as psychopathy and violence among justice-involved people. Clinically, Dr. Swagger specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorders. He studies both therapeutic and harmful substance use. Recently, his research has focused on potential individual and public health effects of kratom use. He also studies interventions for individuals whose use of more dangerous substances is causing them harm, taking into account the psychopathy and other moderators of successful treatment. Dr. Swagger's research background includes numerous studies of violence, suicidal behavior, the recidivism among justice-involved people. Since 2017, he has been doing pro bono consultation for the Drug Policy Alliance policymakers, and the American Kratom Association as a science expert on Kratom. This work includes co-writing science letters to senators, the executive branch, the DEA, the government of Indonesia. He has met with senior staff of nine U.S. senators concerning Kratom. When asked about the DEA's potential ban on Kratom, he said that the war on drugs has been costly and ineffective. He classified the move as a fast track to criminalization and said that without solid data to implicate Kratom as an urgent health concern, if banned, it could potentially worsen several known urgent public health crises. He also said that the ban seemed like a cruel and foolish move. He has been featured in Business Insider, Vice, Washington Post, New York Times, New Science, Live Science, How Stuff Works, Healthline, Wired, and more. Dr. Swagger, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us. I know we've been trying to talk for a while and getting our schedules to line up. It's, it's great to have you. And if if you wouldn't mind just giving like a, a quick brief background or um, you know the, the work you're doing at Kratom. Oh, sure. I'm a, uh, so I'm an associate professor at the University of Rochester Medical Center, and uh, I do uh, harm reduction and substance use research. And so um, I sort of ran across Kratom in uh, 2015, right before the DEA came out with their um, intent to schedule it as a, a Schedule One substance. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, we had done some research and we're sort of in the right place at the right time to be able to talk about it in a scientific way. Ever since I've been I've been interested in the plant because of its possibilities for pain relief and uh, harm reduction for people with opioid use and, and other problems. But I've also been interested in the politics of it, which have shown me a lot about how the government works and how people can fight back when their civil rights are being taken away. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I've heard you, and I've done it myself, compare this to the cannabis prohibition. And then when we are now in the in the day and age that we are with all the social media and how easy it is to pass on information and get solid information so the propaganda can't spread as fast. This is, uh, it's pretty incredible times, uh, the pushback from the public and the progress that we've been able to make as far as keeping Kratom legal. Oh, it's, it's super interesting because the pushback from the public and the scientific community and, you know, anybody who cares about it and, and knows anything about the plant has actually resulted in unprecedented moves by, uh, by the DEA. I mean, pulling back from that intent to schedule who came out and said, hey, this is helping me and you don't have a right to take it away. So it's, uh, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, it really is. You said you and a couple of colleagues, now you were studying Kratom before the DEA tried to ban it. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think it was, it was actually probably 2014 that we, I, I ran across it on the Arrowwood site. Uh, I think it's arrowwood.org. Um, and Earth and Fire Arrowwood were willing to give me their data. So people would send in experience reports after using Kratom. Um, and would detail what happened. 
And those reports are usually pretty interesting because, you know, people are just shooting from the hip and they have just taken a a plant or another drug, sometimes harmful drugs, um, and uh, and will write about their experience. So I wanted to capture that data and take a look at it in a systematic way so that we could see what some of the themes were with regard to Kratom because it it hadn't been studied particularly carefully, at least in the West. And uh, Earth and Fire Arrowwood were willing to do that. And so we published a paper in 2015 that detailed the themes that came out of those experiences with Kratom. Gotcha. That kind of answers a little bit of my next question. But normally, one of my first questions is, what got you into Kratom? But I did have a question off of Twitter. It was from Erica. She said, how or why did... Dr. Swagger become interested in covering the issues surrounding Kratom. So kind of goes into that, that same kind of gist. So yeah, what, yeah. what got you even into, into even searching for Kratom? I, you know, I can't remember the, uh, where I heard about it, but once I, once I saw the experience reports, it was pretty clear that this was an interesting compound um, because it was a, something that provided people with pain relief, or at least they were reporting that. And it was also something that was useful to people who were trying to get off of other things that they, that they didn't want to be taking, but felt that they were having trouble getting off of. So I'm not just talking about opioids, I'm talking about antidepressants, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, anything that people were trying to get off of for mood or because they had a harmful dependence on it. Kratom was useful or at least that's what the reports were. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, we should do a study on this. And then having, you know, we, we did that study and then having found out some things about it, about its potential for pain relief, about its, um, you know, uh, its uh, potential side effects or withdrawal effects. When the DEA decided they were going to make it a schedule one substance, I was in a pretty good place to talk about it with the media and with the public. And that was really rewarding. You know, as a researcher, you don't always get a chance to make a difference outside of uh, medical journals or psychological journals. And this was that chance and it was really nice. So it seems like there's, there's a few papers that have your, have your name on them. You started studying it, you put out the papers, and then you just had, as soon as the DEA started to try to ban it, you just had a bunch of different news agencies or publications just contact you because you had done this study? Or how does, how does that work to uh, get to be on so many different publications? Yeah, it was, um, well, that was an interesting thing too, because I, you know, I don't, I didn't at that time consider myself somebody who was going to take my career in this direction, but because of the public interest in it and the the media contact, I was able to, well, I I just sort of developed a a big interest in it because I was in a place to make a difference. And I can't say that uh, we've done a lot of rigorous research on it. People like Christopher McCurdy and Oliver Grundman and, you know, other people are doing perhaps more clinically oriented studies but we did have a lot of information that people wanted and so that gave me a chance to dive into it a little more and uh, get to know some people in the east um, like uh, Darshan Singh who's publishing papers out of uh, southeastern Asia and has you know he's got a whole different history Kratom and his participants in his studies have a whole different history and yet the research whether it's in the west or the east shows pretty much the same the same stuff um, right. that people are using it for um, mood elevation but more more often pain reduction and then you know depending on the circumstances harm reduction for opioid use disorders and so seeing the same withdrawal symptoms in the east and the west seeing the same benefits in the east and the west really gave us a a confidence in the observational research that we're doing and so that when, when people say, we have no research on this, they're full of shit. There's a lot of it. And we appreciate the clinical research that's being done to give people a better idea. You know, randomized controlled trials are, are going to happen and people are going to know what the risks and benefits of Kratom are. But in the meantime, it's not a reasonable policy to take Kratom away from people when we have a lot of good information that it's doing more good than harm. Yeah, it's, it seems like 
seems like those people that say, oh, we don't have enough research or there, there's no research on it, is that they are looking for those like those double blind studies or, uh, you know, the the studies that you just mentioned that, that a, drug, a drug company would have to go through. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I understand why, like in the United States, we do research a particular way and, and we have the FDA is a really good institution that ensures that we've looked very closely in rigorously scientific ways at the drugs that are coming out. The problem is when we don't have that information about a plant that people are already using, some people will come out and say, we know nothing because there are not those studies. When in fact, we have a great deal of evidence across cultures with a number of observational studies that Kratom is not the menace that it's, that it's being talked about as and that it helps a lot of people and that taking it away would do more harm than good. Yeah, I've heard you say that a few times that you, and I believe it too, that you're a firm believer that if Kratom was taken away, it would be on multiple levels more, more harm than good. Now, I know there would be the the people that risk of people going back to their their drug of choice, but you know what what do you think that would look like if if it was just banned you know oh yeah that I mean that's what we try to so there are people the American Creative Association is doing a really good job of making this case to people in government and you know people like Jack Henningfield, who know the science are also making this case that when you have however many million people we have using Kratom in the United States, and there are only estimates, um, but it's a lot. If you take that away, and a lot of them are people who've had opioid problems, they will relapse to, um, to opioids, and some number of them will die of overdose. And we know that Kratom doesn't have those risks. It undoubtedly has some risks that we don't know about. But there is not the overdose risk in the same way. It doesn't cause respiratory suppression. And unfortunately, there are still many, many influential people coming out and saying that it does when all of the science, basic science and um, observational science shows that Kratom does not cause uh, significant respiratory depression. And so because that's that's the main mechanism by which opioids cause death in people with harmful opioid use, Kratom is a harm reduction tool. And if they take it away, many people will go back to opioids and some of them will die of overdose. And that matters. Yeah. And I think it's also the other side of it too, that, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden a ban, but on the other side of that is put it in schedule one, you know, that's, uh, that's up there with heroin. I think meth is schedule two or three. And it, it really, could all depend on how much law enforcement, either local or federal, want to take up against it. I mean, a whole ban could turn out into a whole new drug war. Oh, that's a that's a super good point. Yeah, I'm really concerned about that. We incarcerate way too many people. People on Republicans and Democrats and people all over the place politically are acknowledging that we uh, in the United States incarcerate too many people, and that it has basically wiped out a generation of people in certain situations and it's got to be undone and then we have to make it better. And so by, by scheduling Kratom, by saying we're going to incarcerate people who use this plant to try and make their lives better, it's just a ramping up of the drug war. It's the same, same stuff. And it's, it's really frightening that it's all these years later. I mean, this war, this, this war was started for, racial and political reasons to begin with. It had nothing to do with public health. And um, however many years later, here we are, and there's still a group of people trying to schedule Kratom. Um, Shame on them, basically. It's really unreal. Like, you know, and it's great that we have this pushback, but it's still today, like we we see uh, all the success that states are having with medical marijuana and how they've reduced opioid prescription rates and opioid overdoses and places like Uruguay and Portugal that have decriminalized all drugs a lot a lot they've seen a decrease in drug use and overdoses uh yeah that we're still still locking people up and using violence against peaceful people that want to use certain substances that really needs to be addressed as a uh, medical health issue, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. 
Thanks, Mike. That's that's a super good summary of it. I mean, we've seen that. Um, let's not let them use public health as a reason to ban things anymore, because we've seen that the evidence is pretty clear that making drugs illegal has not worked. That it is not in the public health interest. And Kratom is, is just another example of, of that. So I do have uh, there was a tweet you put out not too long ago. Um, that says, <laughs> uh, says, we have published three peer-reviewed studies addressing kratom and psychosis, one being a, 13, a review of 13 other peer-reviewed studies. This is as yet no credible evidence for kratom psychosis. The 1975 data suggesting otherwise has been misinterpreted. So I think that was in response to somebody saying that Kratom causes psychosis. Can we jump into you know, like that tweet and that data you're referring to and the, the studies that you guys have done? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, the idea that Kratom causes hallucinations and delusions, psychosis, is one that is used uh, at the legislative level to win people over to the side of banning Kratom. And because there is some confusion about that, I felt that it was a good idea to weigh in. I'm a psychologist and I know a fair amount about psychosis and there's nothing in the literature to indicate that Kratom causes psychosis. What happened was a study was done in uh, Southeastern Asia in 1975, where they looked at a number of people who were using Kratom and also saw that they had high, high like in that sample, there were high levels of psychosis. That is a, a correlation. And what we know is that correlation never implies causation. You have to do other types of science to establish causation. So what they had done was go to a lot of people who were psychotic and found out that they were using Kratom. And one of the things that might have been going on is that they were using Kratom to alleviate their symptoms of psychosis. But what has happened as a result is that that study has been cited over and over and over again to make the case that Kratom causes psychosis. And unfortunately, what happens in the literature is that if a study is cited, then other people will cite the study that cited it and so there's, there's like almost, well, there's actually no data suggesting that Kratom causes psychosis. And we know because we have reviewed the entire literature and evaluated rigor of every study that has said anything about psychosis and Kratom. And um, we published a uh, review of studies of Kratom that looked at 13 studies that were rigorous enough to provide decent information. You know, there are limits. For example, females are completely underrepresented, uh, underrepresented in a lot of these studies. We've got no randomized controlled trials among them, but um, the, there was no evidence for kratom and psychosis being even correlated in a way that makes sense, let alone kratom causing psychosis. So I think it's important for people to know that while we don't have the studies to rule it out, there's just no evidence for it. So there's sort of an amplification of poorly, poorly done studies. It makes me think of a couple others that are kind of along these same lines. There is the claim recently on the news, I think it was Minnesota, there was a doctor that said they referred to Kratom as an opiate. Is this, that. Uh, if this is the Mayo Clinic video, that's pretty... Um, widely circulated. I think that they'll figure out the science and it's it's unfortunate that, you know, there's been poor interpretation of the science in that way, but but I but I think they're going to get on the right track. I hope so. So yeah, there's a, referred to it as an opiate. There's also the claim that it's 13 times more powerful than morphine. There's the poison control center calls and then there's also the liver damage. And they, they all seem to be on the, the general gist of this kratom causes psychosis, that the 13 times more powerful than morphine, I believe, I don't know the study exactly, but that's a reference to its pain-killing abilities, not the psychotropic quality to it. Yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you know, we uh, use compounds in certain doses 
based on their potency in certain ways. So, you know, people are doing fine not overdosing with Kratom. In most cases, it's, it's you know, it's something you don't want to do. And some of the Kratom preparations are questionable. But if you stick to plant, it's reasonable to think that you can dose that in a, in a helpful way. The other things you're talking about, though, are interesting. Um, so if you take those poison control center call studies and you look at them closely, you realize that the data are particularly bad. People are calling in as they um, realize that uh, they've taken something and they don't feel like they want to, or people get concerned about other people, and, and that's good. But then that data is taken and turned into something that it's not. Those poison control studies are a very low level of evidence and should not be taken to mean that Kratom causes psychosis or some of these other negative outcomes. Now, the, the um, liver toxicity case studies sort of, you know, they make me wonder. You can't, you can't tell that much from a case study. So if a few uh, case studies of uh, liver complications after taking Kratom come out, it's very difficult to interpret that. And it's been over-interpreted. Most people who take Kratom and, and then you study them in group design studies do not report that sort of thing. But there have been enough, uh, and, and they're, uh, for case studies, they're reasonably well done, that I would, um, you know, I would, I would uh, think that people who have any liver problem should use caution, and it should just remind us that we're taking something that we don't know quite how it's going to affect us. So it's reasonable to use caution. Yeah, I would think so. But the uh, that liver damage, I mean, I don't have the study right in front of me, but it was like... It was males, I think it was somewhere from like 30 to 70 years old with the median age of 41, I believe, and no mention as to diet, stress levels, other medications they were on, you know, if they're taking Tylenol, if they're drinking alcohol, how much sugar they're in intake. And I mean, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe, maybe I haven't seen that one, but th those are good points. I mean, you need that information. Because it's already been used in um, coroner's reports, uh, you know, the, the kratom has caused liver damage, and then you find out that somebody has been drinking for 40 years at excessive levels. So it, that, all of that is very important information. I, I have seen a few case studies that have done a nice job of reporting that information, and, and it looked like, as far as they could determine, kratom was the only thing going on. I haven't seen any. Uh, more rigorous group design studies that have reported all of the information that you need to have in order to evaluate them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree that, you know, we, it is still as much as we do know, it's still wise to proceed with caution and who knows, maybe it does damage the liver, but from what they, what I've seen, I haven't, I haven't seen solid proof. Like, I don't even know how, how you would, Go like we, you'd have to have a control group, right? Like you, you'd have to have a everyone completely healthy checking in before they started their kratom use, and then during and after. Or I don't even know how you would get solid data on that. No, that's exactly right. You've got it. You'd have to randomize them to you know people who get kratom, people who don't, and then look at all of these important factors and take them into account when you do the analysis. And that's what randomized controlled trials are all about. And that's, and that's sort of, you know, it, it comes back around to that's what doctors are talking about when they say we don't have randomized controlled trials. We don't have this data that would give us more nuanced understanding of the risks and benefits. It's just that in the meantime, they need to zoom out and think about public health and realize that there is a whole literature of decent scientific data that says that this is not a big public health concern and that until they get more evidence for harm or you know whatever they're looking for we don't know what we're doing if we ban it like you said we are incarcerating more people we are taking it away from people who are using it to their benefit and we're basically taking away a, a civil right other than that, we don't know what we're doing if we ban it. <laughs> yeah, other than that. Um, <laughs> other than those small things. Yeah, it's something that everyone glosses over really easily. That like uh, the whole thing of the you know 
many different rights, but the Fourth Amendment being secure in your person's papers and effects, and uh, that is completely like thrown out if somebody has a certain substance on on them or in their property. Oh yeah, yeah. We were kind of. Um, I, I feel like people were brainwashed a while back, and it's like you were referring to with cannabis and the psychedelics. I mean, these are these are plants that. You know, have have certain risks associated, but could do a lot of good for people. And people know that and they want to use them. And so they're going to use them. And so we shouldn't be incarcerating them for it and creating a bunch of violence around it. It's just wrong. I definitely agree. And I, I do want to kind of back up a little bit and talk about, because it's been mentioned a couple of times, and I did see in some of your work that they're you're doing something with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Just the the whole concept of harm reduction and the work you've done behind that, because I, I believe you've been involved in some studies of psychedelics as well, but I'd love to talk about that. Not yet. We are really working on that. I think that that is, you know, Johns Hopkins and some people in New York City and some people on the West Coast and in Colorado have done some tremendous work with psychedelic psychotherapy. There's a lot of data about the ability of psychedelic psychotherapy to help people get to a new place wherever they are. And scientifically, um, sometimes people dismiss that data just because of the 60s and uh, all of the propaganda around it. But the fact is that even the early data on psychedelics was very positive. And now, psychedelic psychotherapy for substance use disorders, whether it's alcohol or other substances, for post-traumatic stress disorder, for depression and anxiety, for illness-related anxiety, for social anxiety among uh, people with uh, autistic spectrum disorders. It all looks very positive. And by positive, I don't mean that it looks like it works. I mean that it looks like it works in a way that is more potent than anything that's being used in pharmacology or psychotherapy. So I'm just, I am sort of reorienting my career toward that because it looks like the most important work that can be done in, uh, in psychiatry and psychology. And I wanna try to try to be part of that. But there are already people doing really strong clinical trials of psychedelics. The evidence is great. Yeah, I've seen, I believe it was John Hopkins, they were doing, I believe they were doing something with psilocybin mushrooms, but then I also saw MDMA for uh, PTSD. Yeah, the the FDA has gotten on board with that. They are fast-tracking MDMA. Um, they're fast-tracking ketamine. Um, really? Yeah, it's, and, and I have concerns about some of the ways that this is being implemented. For instance, ketamine, I mean, they've made a nasal spray out of it and they're treating depression with it, and that's fine. But I think that psychedelic psychotherapy is better. Higher doses, fewer doses, and using a lot of support around the use of psychedelics is important. Uh, But I'm just, I'm happy to see that it's moving ahead and that these compounds, after so many years of demonization, are being studied, and I hope to be part of it. That'd be great. I have heard in the past of, I think it was cancer patients that are actually getting ready to die using psilocybin mushrooms and makes them a lot less afraid of death. But there's also like ibogaine and ayahuasca. And from everything I read out, it can completely rewire your brain to before the person was addicted to substances. It's super profound. Oh, it is. I mean, that's, that's the really exciting stuff. The uh, so DMT and ayahuasca and and all the drugs of that class that include psilocybin and LSD. I mean, all of those uh, have helped people through the years to get off of substances that they don't want to be using. So um, while I uh, am excited to um, do research on kratom and I think it's important to do it, I think that these uh, psychedelics are are have even a more profound effect and help people. There, there are, I actually um, know somebody who went through the uh, Hopkins study and, you know, it, it, sometimes people suggest that maybe the uh, efficacy of these drugs is being overstated. It is not. They change people's lives. They reset people's minds. And, they, and the interesting thing is that 
um, for all of the dosing that they've done at Hopkins with psilocybin and, and uh, in other places with MDMA, there have been almost no significant um, adverse events. Um, there was uh, somebody who had some heart problems following a dosing of MDMA. That person was okay. From a psychological, psychiatric standpoint, psychedelics can be used in the right, in the right setting with the right mindset and preparation very safely. Yeah, it goes back, yeah, it's, it's that whole harm reduction thing. And when people aren't forced into a underground and actually know what they're getting, it's just, it's a lot safer. And uh, I'm really hoping all that work keeps, keeps progressing like the way it is. Now, I agree. You said you had a friend that was involved in the Hopkins. Was that for MDMA or psilocybin or... I, I know somebody who was involved in the Hopkins psilocybin study of illness-related oh, wow. anxiety. Yeah, and she um, she did very well. It's just consistent with all you know these other reports of people doing well with addiction and and depression, anxiety. I mean these these uh, psychedelic compounds really do reset people's minds, and it's it's probably more potent than anything in psychology or psychiatry at this point. Now, I know you have some history. I don't know if it's just studying or actually being involved in interventions. Do you want to talk about any, anything you've done like towards, more, uh, towards drug addiction and uh, harm reduction? We've done some work in criminal justice systems to try to help people reduce their substance use if they want to. And uh, we use motivational interviewing to do that. It's a, it's a psychosocial intervention. Yeah, it, has, it has helped people. But we take a very harm reduction consistent approach. We don't, we don't, we're not trying to force anything on them. Uh, if they want help, we help them where they are. And, you know, whether that means um, helping them be abstinent, as a lot of people want to do, probably most of the people I've worked with, we work on that. If it means, um, you know, smoking crack and not getting arrested for it, we help them with that because I think that incarceration is a problematic thing and that uh, most of these people are not uh, doing violence. And basically, um, if we can keep them out of jail or prison, it's good for everybody. Yeah, I think it's good. I'm always trying to find out more about harm reduction and people that are actually involved in it. Because I think when we're looking at that versus a abstinence, um, it seems like it's always harm reduction is going to be the better way. It, well, it seems that way to you. It seems that way to me. But a lot of a lot of people feel differently, and we kind of have to win them over. I mean, basically, it's treating people like you would want to be treated. And if the, you know, if they don't want to be abstinent, um, let's not make a moral judgment about them, and then make that law and incarcerate them. Let's help them get where they want to go if it if it benefits them and everybody else. So. That's why I like harm reduction approaches, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that some people like the best the best way to go is to be abstinent from certain substances because some people can't reduce their substance use um, without being off of it altogether. So it's it's both, and we can do both of them, and it's really up to the people we're working with to make the decision, and then we can try to help them get their get where they want to go. Yeah, I think the biggest part is that if they just have to be ready once once someone's like ready have their mindset on it usually goes a lot better but i know you i know i know you got to get going i do want to ask you now if you were to have somebody from the fda in front of you and you could actually let them know anything what would you tell them well i'd i'd show them the science on uh creative and say hey um we have a lot of evidence that uh this is doing some good and that if you take it away, it'll do a lot of harm. And I would um, also sort of make the annoying argument that the FDA is a really important institution and that by not following the science, they are degrading it. I'd agree that they're, we we just, I'm not really in uh, much more for a free market, but logical common sense um, regulation when needed. But in this case, we just need the FDA to do their job. If they were to just regulate it That's and it. people would guarantee that when they buy Kratom, it's actually Kratom. It's not adulterated. It's not an extract. It doesn't have some other drug in it. That would be a great Isn't that start. the irony? It's a great irony. I mean, it's very, it, yeah, it's personally satisfying, but, you know, otherwise pretty bad. 
that the FDA is in charge of regulating products, and instead of regulating Kratom, they are trying to ban it and do the most, um, well, the most insane thing you could do. Probably the most harm. Yeah, if they would just do their job, they, they, everyone would be a lot safer. Uh, yep. doc, Dr. Swagger, I could talk to you for probably hours about, about Kratom and harm reduction and everything, but um, is there anything else you wanted, wanted to say or plug before we go? I'm on Twitter, at Mark Swagger. But otherwise, no. Um, if you uh, if you contact me through my university email, which is readily available online, I'm happy to send papers, um, science on kratom, to anybody who needs it. And uh, sometimes people need it, given these uh, sort of rolling bans that are happening across the country. Other than that, um, just be safe. And thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. I will talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Thanks. So that about does it for this week's show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you got something out of the show, if you enjoy it and you got something out of it, please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend. Big thanks to Candid Orange Flavor Kratom. If you want to try Candid, make sure you tell your favorite vendor that you want Candid Kratom at their retail shop, especially if they're already selling Kratom. Ask them about that and then we'll get Candid in there. Don't forget about the contest or the giveaway rather, not a contest, for Candid. Definitely go check out Mass Herbal, MassHerbalMarket.com. That is MassHerbalMarket.com. Pick up some awesome Kratom. We got excellent Kratom. Comes from one farm in Indonesia. Absolutely excellent. Money back guaranteed. If you don't like it or have any issues at all, we're so happy to to swap it out or... uh, give you a refund but luckily we haven't had anybody take us up on that you can also pick up a t-shirt get yourself a kratom t-shirt these t-shirts are awesome kratom saves lives keep kratom legal great way to help support the show my wife and i a local business go check us out on twitter at kratom guy show and just give us a follow and we'll pick from one of the followers and big thanks to you the listener really can't do this without you guys so love you guys thank you so much for your continued support and like i mentioned i love getting your messages and the text list has become a lot harder to do I've basically been kicked off a couple of platforms for daring to text about Kratom. And it was a lot easier from my previous phone. I could do batches of like 10. So please hit me up. Tell me where you guys are hanging out. Where's the best place to reach people? Because I'm getting throttled on all the social media. We are going to have a KratomGuyShow.com coming up. But give me a call. Give me a text. 617-917-5242. 617-917-5242. I love to hear from you guys about your Kratom stories. If you're new or you're a seasoned Kratom consumer, give me a call. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing the success stories. So give me a call. Give me a text. That phone goes. Phone number goes right to me. And... You know, check us out on uh, on YouTube. We got a bunch of videos up there. Of course, the Twitter is at Kratom Guy Show. We are gonna be starting a new Instagram. We are gonna be starting a new Instagram soon, so be on the lookout for that. Or you can always find me as Really Mike O, either on Twitter or um, Instagram, Facebook, and our Patreon. Please, if you like more in-depth reporting, more investigative journalism, once we sign up a couple more vendors, and I'm not packing orders anymore, we're gonna really concentrate on the show to keep getting the truth out. Until next time folks together we can keep kratom legal safe and available for all peace